going to get to start a new sermon series, Someone Else's Shoes, and the kind of thrust of this sermon series is built upon the reality that oftentimes when it comes to our walk with the Lord and when it comes to being connected in a church community is uh, we tend to focus on a lot of the major characters. We tend to focus on uh, Abraham, we tend to focus on Moses, we tend to focus on David, we tend to focus on Jesus, which is a good thing, right? And then we focus on Paul, and we focus on Peter. This sermon series is really a sermon series that we're going to look at some of the secondary characters that we find in Scripture. The reason why we're going to look at the secondary characters is we begin to realize that um, maybe we have a lot in common with them. Not with the primary, but the secondary characters as well. Uh, I know for me, when I was growing up, I remember at a very young age wanting to be used by God. Uh, I don't know what it was like for you growing up. For me, I remember driving in my grandma's car and thinking about eternity at eight, nine years old. And honestly, it freaked me out at thinking about eternity, right? Forever, right? forever and and i began to think about the wonder and awe of god at a very young age and as i grew older um i eventually accepted christ jesus christ as my lord and savior 10 years old um at church camp and uh as i grew older um the enemy did a good job of leading me to a place of questioning whether I could be used by God. Questioning of whether or not um, God wanted to use me and wanted to move the kingdom forward through my life, I began to question whether God really loved me. Um, And I think that happens for a lot of us as we experience pain in life, we experience uh, sin in our own life, and the enemy does a good job of, of questioning our hearts and our minds about really who is God and what is God like and could he actually use my life for something significant? And whether you experience that, whether you're young or whether you're old, over time, I think our hearts, for all of us, we can become cynical or even begin to believe wrong things about who God is and what it is that he actually, who he actually invites to his plans and his purposes. This morning, my hope is that we would begin the journey of looking at a character who actually, if you were to ask a lot of people today, what kind of person does God use? This person would not be described. <laughs> this would not be the person that people would pick. This would not be the person that people would, would say, oh yeah, this is the type of person that God is looking for. Who is this person? Um, the person is Rahab. Everybody say Rahab this morning. Who is Rahab? Well, Matthew chapter 1 is the lineage of Jesus, of how Jesus came into this world in his family line. And if you've ever turned to Matthew chapter 1, this whole chapter is this long lineage, and you read it and you go, who are all these people and all these weird names that I don't even know how to pronounce? Who are they? And in the midst of that lineage, you begin to see a couple things that pop up. And the first thing you notice is, is there's four women that are mentioned Uh, verse 3 Matthew chapter 1 verse 4 5 and 6 specifically 5 there you see Rahab Um, before that you see Tamar you see Ruth and you also see the mother who had been Uriah's wife um, which is Bathsheba you see four women that are listed and I want to encourage you now for the sake of time we can't dive into all these different women 
Uh, but I would encourage you to take a look at every single one of them. We're going to look at just Rahab uh, this morning. But in your quiet time with the Lord, um, do some research. Figure out who Tamar is, who Rahab is, and Bathsheba. The scripture goes on to talk about later on in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, that it was by faith the prostitute Rahab. That's not a typo. The prostitute Rahab. Because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Why does God want us to know about Rahab the prostitute? Rahab the prostitute. In order for us to understand who Rahab is, it's mentioned in Matthew, mentioned in Hebrews as someone who walked in faith. And in fact, this chapter of Hebrews talks about a whole host of people that walked in faith. Why does God want us to know about Rahab? We have to go back in time about 1,500 years. Clear back to the point where Israel, God's chosen people, are about ready to enter into the promised land. And this is actually round two of entering into the promised land. If you remember round one, didn't go that great. God takes Israel and says, okay, we're gonna, I'm gonna send you to the promised land that I've chosen for you, that I've rescued you out of Egypt, that you are no longer slaves, just like we sang, you're no longer slaves, you are my child, and I'm taking my nation, and I'm giving you the promised land. And as they went to go into the promised land, they sent spies to take a look at the promised land. And everybody, except for Joshua and Caleb, everybody was like, we can't take the land. We can't do it. It's too much. The people are too big. The nations are too big. We can't do it. And God says, because of your lack of faith, I'm going to send you out into the desert for 40 years. And so they wander in the desert, wandering, 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 until the next generation was brought up. And so Joshua says, all right, let's take a look at this again. And, and they send out spies to go and see the promised land. And God said in Joshua chapter 1, to Joshua said, I want you to understand, I want you to be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong. He says it at least three times, if I remember correctly, to Joshua. Why? Because it's, this is a big momentous moment. He's taking over for Moses. Kind of a big deal, right? And now he's ushering in a new reality, a new era, a new, a new time for the people of Israel and in Joshua chapter 2, the story goes on to say that Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent the message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman who had taken the two men had hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. 
We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is in heaven above and on the earth below. Now, I don't know about you, but the first thing that I ask when I read that is, why are they in the house of a prostitute? Am I the only one? <laughs> the first question, why? The text doesn't tell us why. We can speculate. We can wonder. We can think. I appreciate what one commentator said. One commentator said, her name was most likely known to all the great men in the land. They would reveal the secrets of the land to her. Talk about the, the area, the, the country, maybe how travel goes about. If the spies stayed there, they'd be able to find out about all the aspects going on around the land. Therefore, the spies did not go to any other place. They just slept there. What's the significance of Rahab? Well, help me, let's paint the picture a little bit for Rahab. And if you aren't used to reading the scripture, let me just give you some cultural context. She's a woman, first of all. Women were marginalized significantly in this culture. Not only that, she's childless. Which in that culture, if you don't have children, and if you're not married, you're not a part of a community that actually takes care of you. You're often forgotten about, not protected. Obviously, um, oftentimes just forgotten about in addition to that she's a canaanite she's an enemy of god's people is how they would have viewed her she's a worshiper of many gods considered an enemy of god and not only god but of his people and so we have a woman who's childless not married already marginalized and now a canaanite who worships multiple gods she's a prostitute i don't have to explain that So I just want you to think about the probable shame that's involved in her life. About what she does for a living. About the things that she has to face every single day. The decisions that she's made. The weight that she carries. And if there's anything that we can draw from this story, from the very, very beginning, it's this reality. God has always been using all types of people to move his plan forward. Amen? All types of people. The people that you would think, God wouldn't use that person. Why would God use that person? God says, I'll use this person. I'll use this person. The underdogs that God uses are found all throughout Scripture, and Rahab is an underdog story. Rahab is a story of, of God saying, I'll use anybody. And so what we're going to see through this sermon series is we're going to take a look at Gideon next week, an underdog story, the youngest in his family, which in their culture, if you're the youngest, you're the runt, you don't have a voice like the firstborn does. Deborah, we're going to take a look at the following week. The only female judge only female military leader, underdog story. Samson, who is a complete knucklehead. 
complete knucklehead. And if you are a knucklehead this morning, don't miss Samson. If God uses the marginalized, if he uses the underdogs, if he uses the misfits, if he uses the second class, if he uses the knuckleheads, that means that God wants to use every single person in this room to accomplish his purposes. Every single one of you. And when we really think about that truth and that reality, and we take it and transpose it or compare it to our culture, it's very different than our culture. Our culture glamorizes the first class. Our culture glamorizes the celebrity. Our culture glamorizes the people that are up front. Would you agree with that? And the frustrating thing is oftentimes when it comes to Jesus' church, when it comes to Jesus' people, we actually buy into that reality or belief or truth system. That it's the first class that God uses. It's, it's the most talented that God uses. It's the most popular that God uses. But if we can learn anything from Rahab, it's, it's not that. And, and what ends up happening a lot of times, I see a lot for me as a, as a pastor, it's frustrating for me, is the popular pastors, the celebrity pastors, are what get talked about or seen over and over and over and over again. Do you know what I'm talking about? And the response to that is, is frustrating for me because what ends up happening a lot of times to our response as Christians when it comes to celebrity culture, celebrity pastors, when it comes to all those things, is there's two types of responses. The one response is cynicism and skepticism of all the people that God is using, including even those celebrity pastors. And rightfully so. Because we begin to realize that all people are born and struggle with sin. But the one response is cynicism, skepticism. The other response is a tossing aside of people's concerns and voices that speak against celebrity culture and amongst God's leaders. But if we're going to learn anything when it comes to that culture that's contrary to God's economy and God's kingdom, here's the reality. If we're willing to really walk in humility, we're all underdogs. All of us. Even the most talented. Even the most popular. All of us are a part of the comeback story because there's really only one person that's ever been perfect. And you know who that is. Sunday school answer, it's Every single one of us is a part of this underdog story. There's only been one that is perfect. There's only been one that has walked blamelessly. There's only been one that has over and again and over again and over again been the one that's worthy of being propped up. And for us as Christians, we have to look 
at our hearts and ask the question, what motivates us? What, what drives us? What is the type of person that God actually loves and uses? And, and, and what is, what's amazing about when you look at what, who God uses, it's full of beauty. It's full of mystery. Oftentimes it's paradoxical about how God moves and uses people. And if we lose beauty, if we lose the mystery of God, we begin to lose the heart of God. Rahab's story reveals to us that you are never too far gone from the grace of God and his will for your life. Those of you that have come this morning, and I so appreciate DJ's prayer, that we just saying that God is, that God is what? He's good. And some of you have a hard time singing that song. Maybe it's because of the stuff that's happened to you. Maybe it's stuff that's just full of injustice that's taking place. But you've come this morning struggling to sing that prayer. And maybe it's because you recognize the weight of the sin of your life and the shame the enemy has put into your heart and to your mind. I have good news for you. You are never too far gone from God's love and his will for you in your life. And Jesus is a testimony to that. Jesus over and over again found the Rahabs of his community and loved them, called them out of the life that they were living and, and lovingly, lovingly pushed them to something greater. And if there's anything we can learn from Rahab, it's that. You're never too far gone from the grace of God and his will for your life, number one. Number two, the people who recognize who God is are the people who are used by God. The people who recognize who God is are the people who are used by God. I want you to notice in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, when we heard of it, she said, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and above and on the earth below. She had moved to a point where she recognized there was only one true God. This is called repentance. And Rahab recognized who God is. And when we recognize who God is, God says, I can use that person. No matter where they've come from, whatever their history is, whatever their background is, this is the type of person that I can use, that I can actually see that they are willing to declare me Lord and King. Talks about this in Acts chapter 4. It doesn't matter who the people are, as long as they recognize who God is, who Jesus is. This is the church in Acts chapter 4. Listen to how it's described. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter, who said this, and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Underline that, unschooled. Ordinary men, they were astonished. Not the elite, not the first class, not the best of the best, underdogs, secondary. And so my question for you this morning is, who do you recognize? Who do you recognize in your life? Is it God, king of the universe? And if that's the case, God says, I want to use you to move my mission forward. Who else has God used? Number three, the people who put their hope in God and have hope for people 
are used by God. The people who put their hope in God and have hope for people are used by God. What do I mean by that? I love the Hebrew language. If you were to force me to learn a secondary language of, of the Bible, you've got Hebrew and you've got Greek. And uh, I hate Greek, just to be honest with you. I took two weeks of it while I was in Bible college and in full-time ministry. And after two weeks, I'm like, I'm not doing this. It's the only class I ever quit in Bible college. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I quit with 105% in the class, just so you know. <laughs> but I did the third lesson, and it took me eight hours to study it and study it and study it. And after eight hours, I still didn't know what the heck I just read. I was like, I don't have time for this. I got to disciple students. But Hebrew, the, part, and the reason why is because Greek is such a complex language. Such complexity. Hebrew is very simple. Very simple. And one of the things that's beautiful about the Hebrew language is they, they have words and multiple images or words or multiple images or meanings for one word. And I love that. Because God begins to give us a picture as to what he's trying to communicate. And he does that in Joshua chapter 2. Look at the story in verse 17. The men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord. So we're fast forwarding the story, right? She's asking, please don't destroy my family. Please don't destroy me. I'm recognizing God is who God is. And so they create an oath together. This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter the land. You have tied this scarlet cord. Underline that word. The scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we release from the oath, you made us swear. Why do I have you underline the word cord? The word cord also is the same word used for hope. Hope. And I want you to think about Rahab. She's acknowledging that God is who God is, that he is the God of the universe, universe and, and, and she has chosen to put her trust in this God, but not only in this God, in his people. And I want you to think about her life and the amount of disappointment maybe that she experienced, the amount of hurt that she might have experienced. And she makes an oath, and she puts this, this oath, this promise before God and before his people. And I want you to think about that moment, what it meant for her to hang that cord up and to wonder, will the God of the universe actually come through? Will God's people actually come through? And for some of you this morning, you've come here and you've experienced time and time again where you've tried to put your hope in God and you've tried to put your hope in people and it's not gone well. I've experienced it. Anybody else? And I want to tell you, friends, like, this is where the enemy gets us. As we long to experience the Rahab story, 
But sometimes it doesn't happen. And if we're not careful, our heart begins to get cold. Another word is cynical. Any cynics in the room this morning? Oh, I know it says that, but there's always a but, right? I know it says that. I know that story. I know how that ends, but I want to encourage you this morning is we can't allow the pain and the disappointments in our life to keep us from continuing to hope in the God and hope into his people that they actually will come through. Are you with me this morning? But Rahab, she puts her hope in God and his people. What would happen if we started walking like Rahab? What would happen if we started trusting God for the plan, even in the midst of the pain and the disappointment? What happens if we started looking to God's people to help us through the things that we navigate rather than the sin and the circumstances that weigh us down? What happened to Rahab? How does the story end? Verse 22, Joshua said to the men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young man who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters and all who belonged to her. And they brought her and her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron in the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had spent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. What if we started having hope? Like Rahab had hope. Hope in God and hope in his people. This is what I do know. Is when we live that way, it moves us to action in our community. It moves us into new places of faith that God invites us into. And I want to tell you something. Is that when you walk with faith, when you have hope in God and hope in his people, and you move from not being cynical and negative, but you move towards, I'm going to have hope, therefore I'm going to have faith, therefore I'm going to act the community takes notice. And there's a word that Rahab uses twice in Joshua chapter 2, verse 10. We have heard how the Lord, dot, dot, dot. We have heard how the Lord, dot, dot, dot. When we have hope in God and hope in his people, in believing that God uses all people not just the primary, but the secondary, the underdogs, every single person, we move to action. And when we move to action, people begin to take notice. Oh, you go to real life? Oh, I've heard of that church. I've heard of what the Lord dot, dot, dot. And so for us as a church, when we are a people that walk out like Rahab walks out, oh, I've heard about that community of people. That community of people dropped off a meal train at my house for two weeks while I battled cancer. 
And I've never actually been to that church. Oh, that church, those group of people, they, they gave me three totes of clothes while I was trying to raise my toddler. That church showed up at Meridian Elementary and redid the whole outside landscaping. That church mowed my yard while I helped my husband battle cancer. Why do we do that? Because we have hope in God and hope in his people like Rahab did. What would it look like if we lived more like Rahab? I want you to think about two things as we get ready for communion this morning. Number one is this. What role do you see yourself playing in moving God's mission forward? And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, I, 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 I won't be used by God, Rahab is a reminder that God uses all people. And he's inviting you into trusting him and his agenda for this world. And so whatever pain or sin or thing that you've, you've walked through in this life, Rahab is a reminder that God, if you're willing to acknowledge him, is ready to use you today. Number two, what people do you need to have hope for? What people do you need to have hope for? Who are the people in your life that are the secondary? Who are the people in your life that maybe other Christians would say, good luck. Who are the people that you need to have hope for? And are you willing to begin to pray? Are you willing to be intentional with your time with them? Are you willing to show them the scandalous grace and love of Jesus through your actions? Who are the people you need to have hope for? Because as much as Rahab, <laughs> as much as Rahab had hope in God and hope in his people, guess what? Joshua had a whole lot of hope in her as well. And so who, who do you need to have hope for? And may we be reminded as we spend time with Jesus, as we get ready for this meal, that if it weren't for him, none of this, none of this would make any sense. But because of Jesus' love and his graciousness poured out to us, we get to have hope. We get to have hope. If you didn't receive communion this morning and you would like to take communion, just go ahead and raise your hand. These amazing ladies would be willing to bring you communion. Just keep it up as she, as they both walk the aisles and bring a cup of juice and a piece of bread. Let's spend some time with Jesus as we get ready to go to the table.